This is an ODB Films production. Visit odbfilms.com today. In Latin, renovo means to renew, restore, or revive. This is the show where we explore the miraculous nature of the mundane as we look at one part of the Catholic tradition to help you engage more fully in the practice of faith. Past episodes are available at renovopodcast.com. I am Doug Took, and today we look at a topic that has come up more times than I can imagine when asking people about why they do or don't believe. I think that's incredible. Uh, and the topic is suffering. Uh, this one hits home for me. I, this this would probably be uh, the number one issue for like my dad in his kind of agnostic journey to find Jesus. Um, there's a God. I don't know who it is. Kind of agnostic journey. Um, I think that he carries around the baggage of his experience in the Vietnam War. And I think that he carries around this this question of suffering as, you know, if there is an all loving God, why would there be suffering? I think that's who he is. And I think that's true of a lot of people who struggle to engage a life of faith. And so why not hit this bad boy head on in the spirit of Renova? We might go a little long today, but I think we're going to do pretty good in terms of timing. So if you're going for a jog listening to this, just a little extra steps, a couple extra steps, it'll be great for you today. So this is the question. This is this is the way that I want to kind of approach the show. If God is all powerful and truly seeks our good, then why does he allow bad things to happen to people? This is it. This is the one. This is the this is the head on. Why does God allow all the suffering we experience in this life if he loves us and is all powerful and all knowing? Why does the Catholic Church uh, teach this? And what does the Catholic Church say about the meaning of suffering? Let's let's dig in because I think this is a great teaching um, Renovo without a doubt. So we all know. Um, what it is to feel pain and loss. We already know all this, whether it's from the loss of a loved one, a cancer diagnosis, a natural disaster. Every single person experiences suffering. It's part of living. According to uh, Robin Ryan, an associate professor of systematic theology at Catholic Theological Union, who's also a passionist priest, the presence of suffering is the one thing that most challenges our faith. He says suffering isn't an elective course. It's not optional. If a person lives in a mansion and has a great job, suffering touches everybody and affects everybody's faith. And I could not agree more because listen, suffering is so common and yet it's super difficult to talk about, right? So this professor Ryan, he says that it's easy to rely on these kind of what he calls platitudes, like it's all part of God's plan or God never gives you a bigger cross than you can endure. But the problem with these, the professor says, is they sound like God is busy doing uh, like giving out crosses in people's lives that can totally turn people off. And that is not OK. The solution here really is for Catholics to articulate their personal beliefs about suffering through an ongoing conversation with others, which demands Healthy relationship first, right? Welcome to the Doug Tuke Renovo agenda, which is that all great ministry stems from great relationship, relationship with Christ, relationship with each other, relationship with nature, relationship with faith community, all of that stuff. And Father Father Ryan, but also Professor Ryan, he has a book. It's called God and the Mystery of Human Suffering, A Theological Conversation Across the Ages. It's very good. If you're a reader, dig into it. He offers really no definitive answer to the questions that we've posed. He really doesn't. But instead, he basically shares 
the wisdom of a lot of people who have thought on a range of, of topics regarding suffering from Thomas Aquinas to Elizabeth Johnson. So the goal, if you read this book is to, to kind of refine and, and really enrich our own personal views on suffering and God's presence in the midst of pain. So what I want to do with the show is really flowing from this book is ask probably the most pointed questions that will affect us in our faith journey. So the first one would be like, what's so mysterious about suffering? And here's, here's what you kind of get. There are two major mysteries out there. So the mystery of God and the mystery of human suffering. That's, that's the two big ones in this relationship. And you can't completely wrap your mind around either one of them. You're just not going to do it. There's going to be mystery, right? So even the best rational explanations of why suffering exists and how it fits into the whole order of things, they're going to fall short. There's not, there's not going to be a definitive answer. If you're looking for a definitive answer, you're not going to get it. You go meditate on the top of a mountain in Tibet or wallow in poverty in Calcutta. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get a definitive answer. So a problem is something that's solvable, at least eventually, right? But a mystery is not something you can solve. Let's just get that out there. So it's something you encounter that you have to grapple with and learn to live with and try to make sense of the best you can. But there's no overarching explanation that can put a mystery into some nice rational box. And that's suffering. You know suffering when you see it or feel it, but it's hard to define it. The dictionary's definition is, you know, it's something like the bearing of affliction and and pain and loss. But suffering is way more multi-layered than that. And everybody knows this. Uh, Phil Zila is a Canadian theologian. He talks about the different dimensions of suffering, the physical, the psychological, the social, and the spiritual. The physical refers to the bearing of pain, while psychological is a sense of loss or, or sometimes trauma. Social suffering refers to becoming a social outcast, social degradation, or shame. And then finally, spiritual suffering can lead to hopelessness, uh, to despair. The more of these elements that are kind of part of an experience of suffering, the deeper it is, the deeper and the harsher the suffering is. So um, uh, it makes me think of a story. So if you, if you go to the dentist uh, for a procedure, not, not my favorite experience, um, is that suffering? And, and I suppose it is. Um, you, you suffer physical pain a little bit, but, but you know that your dentist is trying to help you, okay? And everything's going to work out fine in the end, okay? So that, that's, that's, not, that's not necessarily what we're talking about. That's different from losing your spouse or the experience of the people in, uh, in the Paris terrorist attacks a couple of years ago, um, attacked by gunmen, uh, certainly the experience of the families and the immediate, um, those affected directly by the 9-11 experience. I mean, there's so many terror and trauma experiences that we can talk about. Suffering encompasses the spiritual, the mental, and the social. That's really what we're talking about on this show. So if God's all powerful and all good, why the heck do these things happen, right? Isn't that the, isn't that the core of what we're getting at? And that question is really the basis of what's known as um, theodicy or, or the rational attempt to explain how God can be both omnipotent and all good and yet allow suffering and evil to exist. So again, we're standing before a mystery. So there's no way to wrap your mind around the suffering and no explanation that's going to that's gonna leave your mind at rest. But theologians today, a lot of them say that, that suffering is a scandal uh, and we have to allow ourselves to be scandalized by it again and again. That's a fascinating way to look at it. Jürgen Moltmann is a German theologian who was a POW after World War II, and he was conscripted 
as a teenager into the German Nazi Air Force and almost died in the bombing of Hamburg. And afterwards, at 18 or 19 years old, he was put into a POW camp for three years. And in the camp, an American chaplain gave him a Bible and he came across the Psalms of Lament first and then Mark's account of Jesus's passion. He said something along the lines of, quote, when I read Jesus death cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I realize this is someone who understands me and I came to understand him. Okay, so theologian Moltmann says that, quote, why, quote, question that theodicy tries to answer is like an open wound that you have to learn to live with. That's an amazing way to put it. So it's one of the most important questions of human history, and yet it exists like a big open wound that you can't cure. This is the challenge, right, friends? Are you comfortable with the big open wound or not? Are you or are you not? Uh, think of St. Thomas. When St. Thomas doubts Christ, uh, I won't believe until I see. And of course, Christ says, fine, Thomas here, right here. Look, here's my woundedness. Here's my brokenness. Christ says, I I still, I have these open wounds for you. Perhaps that leads us to a little bit more um, solidarity with, with who Christ is in our lives. Um, sometimes faith enables us to live with that open wound. And in many times faith allows us to to understand it. Certainly Christology and just our closer relationship with who Christ is helps us understand that. So rather than trying to answer the question of why a lot of theologians today say that the more important question for us is where, where do I find God in suffering? And it's really here that the Christian story of the cross and the resurrection has a lot to say. So what can suffering people learn from the cross and from resurrection, well, the, the cross has been used in a lot of ways for suffering people. Sometimes um, these are ways that are really helpful and sometimes not. The cross has been used to say, quote, well, Jesus suffered, so you should suffer too. Uh, almost conveying that the, the more we suffer, the closer we are to God. There's an argument there. I'm not going to super get into that today. But the incarnation, remember this, tells us that God chose to save us by punching into this world, by just inserting himself into the world with all its beauty and its tragedy to save it from within rather than sending heavenly armies marching in. in. In Christ specifically, God knew exactly what suffering was. Christ truly entered into suffering. So God, in some ways, is forever different because of humanity, because of that experience. And this isn't an answer to any question about suffering, but it's really kind of an assurance of God's compassion and God's presence with the suffering person that you have to remember that the resurrection assures us that God can be found in the one who is suffering, even when it seems like a godless situation. Um, this begs a difficult question though. Does, does God suffer with us? Does God suffer? Uh, the traditional answer is no, because God's immutable and impassable and to suffer is to change or to be changed. But, but just hear me out because of the incarnation, the son of God suffered on the cross though in his human nature, not God's divine nature. I don't want to get too confusing here. So even though the person of God suffered in a way, that suffering was kept separate from God's divine nature. Traditional theology kind of brought suffering as a close, uh, basically as close as possible to God, but didn't quite let it touch God. If that's even even possible to unexplain and explain that. God is fully human and fully God. You explain it. So in his full human nature, yeah, suffering, crucifixion, oh my gosh. In his godly nature, God is God. God is God. Love found a way. You know, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the one way to kind of unpack the deep 
difficulty of this mystery is the fullness of suffering. Hey, Thomas, here's my wounds. But the fullness of godliness. Hey, I created the universe and I'm managing 15 billion known light years of space at the same time. So (laughs) here's the thing. Modern theologians, including feminist theologians, uh, say that God is impacted upon by our sufferings. And this isn't it's not it's not like a bad it's not a bad thing. The ability to freely enter into the suffering of another is is an excellence, not not an imperfection. The best analogy we have for God's love is the is really kind of the love that we have, you know, between two adults. That love always involves a sense of mutuality, reciprocity, uh, of being vulnerable to the hurts of the other. Uh, it's it's difficult. So if that's the case, if that's the most perfect kind of love we can think of, even though we realize it's it's limited, uh, don't don't we want to ascribe that? To God. So if if so much depends on how you understand perfection, if you understand perfection in a way that includes the ability to make oneself vulnerable to another out of love, then many theologians today would say we want to ascribe that to God, even though we don't know exactly what it means for God to suffer. We just don't know what's a perfect marriage Two imperfect people doing their absolute best. Well, it's not the same for God. God's not imperfect. But we are imperfect and we still enter into a relationship. So we're going to use the models that we know to try to ascribe them to God to the best of our abilities. So let's answer. Let's ask a really tough one. Uh, Did Jesus have to suffer on the cross to save humanity? Here's what I would say. Some modern theologians have criticized the, the Christian tradition for really glorifying the cross in a way that didn't acknowledge um, the terrible thing that it was, a cruel form of execution. We're actually going to do a Renovo on crucifixion to really unpack that. So it's important to see Jesus' death on the cross as the outcome of his public ministry. If you just isolate the cross and say, yeah, Jesus came to die for us, um, it sounds like what he did before the crucifixion was just a prelude or or something not really important. That's not That's not good theology. That's just not accurate. But Jesus came to offer salvation and to proclaim the nearness of God's kingdom. Get into the Gospels, Catholics. That's what it is. He made the reign of God really present in his words and in his deeds, specifically touched the leper, dined with the sinners, etc. So his suffering was a result of living that ministry in a world where people really rejected God's visitations, really. It's like the suffering needs to be seen as an outcome. He got himself in trouble by the way he lived. So we do believe that Christ's suffering on the cross is redemptive, but it's redemptive because it's full of love, not because it's full of pain. So do these big, you know, theological ideas help us with our own concrete experiences of suffering? You got to understand it. Yes. The answer is yes. They help us put perspective on the depths that we charge. Um, great writer, Ellie Weitzel. Uh, many of you have read his book, Night, author, and he's a Holocaust survivor. He writes specifically about the hanging of a young boy while he's in uh, the concentration camp. Two men and a boy are arrested. All the prisoners are forced to watch them be hanged. And the young boy hangs on longer because he's so light and it takes him a really long time to die. And someone beside Weitzel says, where is God? Where is God now? And eventually Weitzel says, I heard a voice inside of me saying, there he is. He's hanging there on the gallows. What a line. Talk about solidarity. So Weissel never really explains what he means by the passage, but, but I, think it's, I think a Christian uh, can read um, that line and really understand that God is in the suffering one. That where we find God, not in some figure 
who's behind the scenes and directing the script or something like that. But seeing God in the suffering means you approach them with reverence. They aren't always attractive. Uh, Sometimes you'd rather not be around them. Sometimes we get frustrated with people who are suffering because we think they're not helping themselves enough or they could do more to help themselves. Um, But you have to realize that this is especially sacred ground. You have to tread very lightly. Okay. A question here would be, does the church ever fall short when it comes to caring for suffering people? Duh. Okay. Now I would steer you in this part of the podcast. I would steer you towards the incredible work of Brene Brown, a professor of sociology at the university of Houston, who really studies shame and her incredible work on sympathy versus empathy. There's a big difference between being sympathetic and then being empathetic, entering into the suffering of another but come on, church workers, of course we blow it. Look at the, the current situation of abuse, duh, right? But but let's step back for just a second. Pastoral workers, uh, whether priests or lay people, are all human beings. I'm not going to beg the question of abuse scandal here, but I just want to just to acknowledge the humanity of the situation. Sometimes pastors want to have a quick answer for people uh, rather than sit with them. Sometimes lay workers want to solve the problem of suffering instead of enter into the mystery. And that is so real. There are many fallen away Catholics who have been offended or hurt by a pastor who wasn't empathetic in their time of need, even in preaching. Okay. We, we want to, we want there to be a convincing sound. Like we know, we know something, right? Otherwise, what are we doing? You know, what are we doing when we're preaching to other people? But sometimes you have to let your own vulnerability come out as a pastoral worker, whether at a funeral or, or, or standing next to a, a dying child, there's many of church leadership that has a brilliant, amazing bedside manner and plenty that doesn't. Okay. It's way harder to say in ministry, this was a terrible tragedy and I don't have an explanation. It's easier to try to seek a solution, but we fall short, don't we? When we resort to some sort of prefabricated packaged answers, bumper sticker slogan um, that we use in some sort of encounter with other people, or even when we're, when we're speaking or, or teaching, we have got to reflect on what our words are conveying about who God is. What kind of image of God is underneath what I'm saying in a time that is needing empathy? So take, for example, the old adage that we tell people after a child dies that says something like, God wanted another angel in heaven. Uh, it makes God into almost like a, a celestial kidnapper. That's not, that's not empathy. That's not sympathy. Or take, take what we say about someone's death or someone else's tragedy being, quote, God's plan. Listen, when, when we use that language, I, th- I think they're trying to, t- to, they're trying to express that God is at work in our lives. I understand that. But God guides us and is present to us and is leading us along the path, right? Otherwise, unfortunately, the language can also make it seem like God's like the master chess player who's looking down on the chessboard, moving all the pieces around and knocking a few over in the process. That's not good ministry. Or, or that God's a master software programmer and he knows all the on and off switches and exactly what circuits to use. It makes it sound like God gives you this suffering as a part of your trip through the maze to get home. That's not, that's not okay. So what, what should it be? What should the pastoral response be? As a minister, as a youth minister especially, but also just as a, as a peer minister, I always try to encourage people to cry out to God. He can take it, okay? They like echo the Psalms of lament. It's okay to be angry at God. People should speak as honestly as they can when it's appropriate. Listen, I encourage those to whom I, I work with specifically to trust that God's with them 
and to hold on to God's hand through the suffering. If someone asked me, why did this happen? I just say, I don't know why I don't have, I don't have any of the answers, but I believe God is present with us and works to bring some good out of the pain. And I believe that it's still important for people to hear that, but I don't tell people that right away. I let people pour out their pain first. So does your response to a huge tragedy, like a, a, a car accident, a, a, an unforeseen death in the family, my goodness, a, a gigantic attack or, or even a natural disaster, does it differ from your response to personal suffering? And I would say in either situation, personal suffering or a huge tragedy, uh, for me personally, I, I, I just want to be present, just, just being present. Job, in the book of Job, Job, Job's friends came from all over the place. When they saw him, they could hardly even recognize him. They sat with him for seven days and they didn't say anything. And it's when they started talking that the problems really came and that they kind of got themselves in trouble. Sometimes I think it's best to just try to be Christ to that person. Don't just come up with answers, but be Christ's presence, a prayerful presence. That's the best thing you can give someone in those difficult situations. And in case of you know, much larger tragedies or incredible things that just rock our world. We have to try to reach out with spiritual and material assistance as well. And it's not okay to just say, I'll pray for that. What can we do to enter into relationship to really, truly support? Think of it this way. Solidarity can really be a cheap word. Um, there's a superficial feeling of, well, I, I feel bad about those people, but there are way other ways to express your solidarity that are way deeper and stronger. And that's the most important thing. We have to learn from suffering. This professor Ryan, he tells a story. He says, he says he was in New York. He said in 2008, uh, he was driving Gustavo Gutierrez, the, the founder of liberation theology back and forth from Catholic theological union to DePaul when he was here for a conference. And he had, he had a limp. Gustavo had a limp because he had, um, he had a disease as a teenager and it, it was pretty, pretty painful. And he had a special shoe on and he had to have a couple of difficult surgeries when he was a young man to even make it functional for him to walk. And a professor says, when we were in the car together, Gutierrez talked about how that experience and the love of his family really helped him develop a sensitivity to pain. It also helped him realize that those who are suffering cling to hope, even when they're among the world's most poor. So that experience as a teenager, he says, basically helped him later in his concern for the poor. So here's the thing. When you're talking about suffering, you have to draw on your own experience, no matter how academic you may be. So by listening to a lot of voices at the table, you're going to gain a lot more wisdom than if you just listen to one set of them or one person. Your ministry will flow from your experience of suffering. It's something that we all, all humanity has in common. Talk about solidarity. And it's from that well that we draw our only experiences of how to navigate this incredible mystery. Don't forget to visit RenovoPodcast.com for past episodes. Please subscribe to, review, and rate our podcast. We always appreciate your input. Your topic suggestions, questions, and or comments are always welcome at Doug at RenovoPodcast.com. Learn more about me on Twitter and Instagram at D-T-O-O-K-E in the number one or at odbfilms.com. Friends, always remember to engage the tradition, a tradition that includes the suffering of all and the redemption of the cross and live the conversion daily. Until next time, God bless. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.